Hey there, Sean. Hey, Pierce. How's it going? It's pretty okay. All right. That means it's time for another episode of the It's Pretty Okay podcast. Let's do it. Let's start the show. this on the day of the MLB All-Star Game. Oh, is it today? It I is, know that the... it is today. And the only reason that I know that is because the uh home run derby was last night. Yes. And and I I didn't watch a second of it, but I got roughly 15 different uh, push notifications from the MLB app on my cellular device about it. So uh, that made me aware not only uh, that uh, it was happening, uh, but uh, right Albert around... Albert Pujols is still relevant? Albert Pujols, I guess, is still relevant. Um, but right around the beginning of the semifinals, um, I had a moment where I saw into the future mm. and, and with, you know, with the benefit of the past, we know that there's a, a pretty well, well-trodden path in which the home run derby champ uh, has basically used up all his dingers and goes into a pretty miserable second half slump mm. And I saw it all play out. I saw Juan Soto of the Washington Nationals win the home run derby, hit like a buck 75 the rest of the season. And then uh, I, I had a horrible vision of uh, the entire army of DC sports radio chuds uh, saying that, in fact, uh, to pay Juan Soto a nickel over $10 million a year uh, would have been uh, a huge mistake and that the worst team in baseball, which is what the Washington Nationals are right now, uh, would, in fact, be better off without perhaps the best player they've ever had. So here's the thing about these people who would cape up for the the management of the Washington Nationals, and I'm going those are to, also referred to as DC sports fans. Well, uh, I I don't know about that, but I would say that the, they are those, because it's every market sports fans. That's what they do. Uh, well, I would say that it is it is a group of a size to to uh, to do a quote that's often um, mentioned from from the run up to World War One. When talking about how uh, the the British Expeditionary Force, um, so like their land army, and the the head of the German command in World War One, they were like, "What will we do if if the British invade?" And their response was, "We will arrest them." And the what is what is present in that is it's such a small group that like they were not afraid of them. Fortunately, the British won and, you know, Americans helped and everything. But that's the point. Like, the, I think that these people who would cape up for management here 
are very small because people realize, and to go to your original point of like, oh, I'm concerned about the second half of this guy's season. Well, unlike um, Julio Rodriguez, who is clearly, I hope he is phenomenal and hit a billion home runs last night, many more than Juan Soto actually hit. But I would be concerned if, um, you know, this was a first-year player or a second-year player, not someone who in 2018 was second in, in Rookie of the Year voting. And then his second year, when he uh, was winning a World Series championship, he was ninth in MVP voting as a second-year player and is now probably the most accomplished 23-year-old that has ever existed. But, alas, uh, they want him to go kick rocks elsewhere. Well, that is and the don't, don't forget to mention many clutch hits in a World Series run. As a, what would that be, a 20-year-old? Yeah, including hitting it off of a lockdown closer in a wild card game. That um, you know, that was just one of many. And if if I can, if I can defend the Washington Nationals front office ever so slightly, I think something you said is not correct, Pierce. They don't actually want Juan Soto to kick rocks. They don't want that at all. They just want him to accept roughly 150 to 200 million dollars less than what he is actually worth over the life of a 15-year contract. Yes. Yeah, so, and that is that is key here. What they've done is the Washington Nationals, and and why are we talking about this? Let me let me pause right here and say this. <laughs> I am still nominally a Nationals fan, but I've reached the end of of my rope. Because this is so egregious, and this this is what we're going to get into, but the Nationals have been leaking information about these ongoing negotiations, quote unquote negotiations, where they are lowballing Juan Soto to a a just a, a flummoxing degree, and um, their latest offer was a fifteen year four hundred forty million dollar contract, which that would be the largest dollar amount for a contract in MLB history. And it would be no deferred money, which for the Nats would be a new thing because they try to take advantage of inflation and not pay you real wages, but then split them over 30 years instead of 15 years. The problem is, as we look at the market now, that 15-year $440 million is, one, very backloaded, so he would make a small amount of money in the first however many years. Um, also, the average annual salary is not in the top 20 of players in the league right now. And that is just offensive. I mean, it is offensive. If you were if you were one of the best at your job in any other market, you would you would expect your employer who recognizes that to pay you close to commensurate. But what they're doing is I'm not going to about whatever 25 times 30 teams uh, or 32 teams, however many baseball, he's he should be getting paid in the top 1%, and they're not even willing to do that. So, I, well, I, he probably is in the top, like, 2%. But, I, and we also should, I think we've, we've talked about this in off-pod conversations before, that, like, mm-hmm. you probably realistically should only be comparing his contract offer to position players, not to starting pitchers just because the, the, the valuation scale is so different, but he is 
so transcendently good at this very young age that like he he's if there's a guy who you're gonna break the scale for and pay a position player like he's a starting pitcher it's arguably like him and mike trout and shohei otani but shohei otani is also a starting pitcher so the the frustration like i am not a nats fan and i am deeply frustrated by this too because this is like the fifth time they've done this shit yeah, to yeah. me, it's not the Juan Soto in the vacuum. It's the, it's um, Harper and Rendon and I don't know. I guess, I guess Trey Turner to a degree, to, to a lesser Absolutely degree. Absolutely, Trey Turner. I'm, like, and I'm glad you mentioned that, Kevin, because I went to um, and Alex. Ker- is it Kirshner? Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, over at Slate, wrote a a wonderful piece today about, and his argument was, "Hey, Nationals." Don't trade this guy. <laughs> you know, a hum- humble opinion. Don't. And um, Kevin, you 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 really walked right into this. So he went to a war for for batter since um, 2018. So this is the wins above replacement stat at uh, Fangraphs. Wonderful place. Great statistic to to give value. Um, so I'll just give you people that are in the top 25 since 2018, which is when Juan Soto made his debut. Uh, and this is for war. Number 25, Anthony Rendon, who has basically not played for the last year and a half. Um, Number 18 on that list, Bryce Harper. Uh, And then number eight was Juan Soto. And number five was Trey Turner. What is the the part of that that brings all those people together? Rendon was drafted by by the Nationals. Um, Bryce Harper was drafted by the Nationals. Juan Soto was an amateur free agent, and Trey Turner was traded to the Nationals, but he was someone who did not have service time yet. They keep on bringing in these yeah. people that have all been in the top five in MVP voting, and then they want to get rid of them almost immediately. Almost immediately. Yeah, it's like they're, <clears throat> it's like they're, it's like they're too good. And I, Sean made a comment once or, or earlier this year where he said, "But we're the Nets." maybe right in trading Anthony Rendon and Anthony Rendon also a huge clutch contributor to the world series run. And then and my response was like, well, if you get rid of everyone, <laughs> some of them you're going to nail and some of them you're, you're going to not. So, but the, but either way you end up with, you know, zero quality franchise players, except for Steven Strasburg, who pitches five games a year. He is physically unable to pitch at this point. Yeah. And, and to, to be clear, like I, I, I know you knew this, but you know that that sort of flippant Anthony Rendon trade take was. Uh, I guess they didn't even trade him; uh, they just let him sign with the Angels. They but didn't like, make a very competitive offer, yeah. Right, but you know, obviously that was being one hundred percent outcome based and not yeah. process based at all, uh, because presumably. If he had been healthy, uh, one imagines he would have been raking for the Angels, and this would have looked like a, a Bryce Harper level bad decision. Well, you're, it's it's yeah. impossible to be healthy and play for the Angels. That is <laughs> that going back to your favorite Weaver. That's just how that happens. Well, um, in the first year after the Bryce Harper one, that's when you saw those 
those DC sports fans would be like, oh, good thing we didn't pay that guy because he had a pretty bad year. <laughs> and then the next year, I think it was, there was just one bad year. And then the next year he was right back to MVP caliber, but. Yeah. And yeah, there was the World Series year and then there was the shortened year, um, which he did pretty well in. And then last year he played extremely well and is sort of on pace for that this year. But the other thing about Bryce Harper and Alex Krishner makes this very point is Rendon and Harper are both instances of, of free agents that the Nationals did not make a competitive offer. They, they real estate developers not understanding capitalism, which is wild. Um, but you know you can you can get rid of Bryce Harper, who is phenomenal and and one of the best, probably the best draft pick in the last whatever 10, 15 years. Not it's not longer. Um, the, the only player better in that time that plays right field is probably Juan Soto that, that has come up. So when you replace Bryce Harper with Juan Soto, yeah, it's really easy to be like, well, uh, you know, I, I got an A, but I retook the test and got an A+. plus. That's fine. With Rendon, with Turner, and probably with, with Soto, um, there's no one coming behind them that is going to fill that space. There's no one who's come behind Scherzer, which... That was a great contract. Give credit where credit is due. That worked out. But they also paid below market value because it was a guy with miles. And, you know, not everybody could see him continuing to do well. So giving him deferred money and doing well in that contract was maybe good business by them. But it had to do with the rest of the market. But there's no one filling these holes. And, yeah, you got lucky once. But it's just the bigger thing is we're talking about them not giving free agent contracts. They weren't going to pay Trey Turner eventually. So if I'm a fan, what am I what am I looking forward to? Who who am I looking forward to? I mean, Victor Robles, who was third on the team in war in 2019 when they won the World Series, is getting better this year cuz he was very very bad at the start of the year, but if he started to play well and was someone they could quote unquote build around, well, they'd build by shunting him off somewhere else because they wouldn't pay him his value. So as a fan, how am I supposed to get excited about maybe the best 23-year-old we've ever seen if I know that he's going to go? Uh, th- there's a very simple answer to that question, which is uh, by choosing to become a fan of whatever team the Nats trade him to instead. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a part of me that <coughs> the really... In, yeah. yeah. By, by which I mean, take your pick out of the Yankees, Mets, and Dodgers, apparently. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. But the thing, I, I that's it's so hard with baseball, I feel, to... That's so much more of a focused on the, the town and the organization, which I think makes it even worse like there are people who in nba will follow a player around which makes i don't know more sense than it does in baseball baseball is about like the day-to-day uh year-to-year building things like oh who we got in the minor league you know what what are our uh what are our prospects like so you know i i, I know you're not totally serious but it just i i'm more mean to say like in baseball it feels like especially difficult when your team refuses to pay anyone Oh no, I'm I'm actually being very serious about just cutting bait and giving up on the Nats altogether. Like I I think that's what you should do. You don't live there anymore. You have you have no reason you have no reason to hold a, a particular allegiance to to this to this ball club that has hurt you. 
Yeah. I, I mean, it was exciting when Bryce Harper was coming up and, and uh, Steven Strasburg and, you know, another draft pick and Anthony Rendon. But uh, the thing is, is when you develop players and we see the the um, the NBA doing a, a great job of this, which is like your homegrown players, you you can keep them in a way that is is appealing and, and the contracts make sense. Um, and, and baseball doesn't really do that. And the Nats are especially bad because, you know, so, some teams get that person. They're like, we're going to keep this guy forever. The Nationals don't sign anyone to, to multi-year contracts. There are only two players in their team right now who have a contract that is not a free agency next year or an arbitration, which basically taking advantage of, of people on a very low pay scale that are younger. They only have two players there. I've talked to the to people about this before. It's hard to look up. But the last time they gave a position player a multi-year, more than three-year contract, which is pretty typical. You know, get a three-year contract, about, keep him for a while. The last time they did that with a position player was also the first time they did that when they signed Jason Wirth to make themselves seem serious. That's not correct. Is it not? No, they've done it more recently. They did it with Ryan Zimmerman in 2014. Okay, so I was going to say, so I was going to say that and be like Ryan Zimmerman doesn't count because they took advantage of him having no market value for like a decade. He can't throw the ball. He just stands there at first base occasionally. Hey, he's great. Don't don't get me wrong. It's good to have that guy, but that doesn't count. And again, that was a draft pick. Clearly, Whoa. they draft well. Yeah, and Jason Worth was like everyone knew they overpaid for him, and but they needed. They needed someone, and he had a couple of good years and got the kind of the playoff run rolling where they were making the playoffs every year. And I, I, I they seem to be acting like they're the the Oakland A's with no payroll and and working in this system where no one knows this stuff, but everyone knows this stuff now. You can't, you've got the I'm, payroll, I'm and you've so got glad, to get to that. I'm so glad point. you said that because I, Pierce said another thing that I would argue with earlier, which is that the the nationals owners are uh real estate developers who don't understand capitalism um no they actually understand capitalism better than basically everyone else except the owners of the rays and pirates um because the 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 way the way you win in in, in capitalism is by uh you know artificially uh you know restricting the value of your uh, labor assets. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I think I think offering Juan Soto a, a backloaded contract with an average annual value of under thirty million dollars, when he's probably worth closer to like forty-five, yeah. I, that's actually pretty great capitaliseming. That I, I get that, but when they act like they're entering the market to acquire new players, they they don't sign anybody because they're like. Hey, you will accept five dollars, but it's really two fifty. And when I give you the other two fifty, it will only be worth two thirty-five or something. As always, this is the continuing McKinseyfication of American professional sports, and and, and, and increasingly that... and increasingly uh, with the way that. Uh, American capitals tentacles are spreading out global sport uh, where 
you know, everyone has worked the value of a win down to a science and, uh, you know, has decided that the best way to win is by, you know, having players on, on cost controlled contracts, because, uh, you know, if you can't pay a guy more than, you know, like a rookie slot salary, then any wins that that player delivers any, you know, any war for Julio Rodriguez, for example, is going to be much cheaper and thus deliver you a greater value surplus than the same win provided to you by free agent contract level Juan Soto. Yeah, and and I hear that and Kevin also mentioned the the A's and you know the Rays are a good example. <clears throat> the Astros before they just paid all the players like, "Wow, you're really good. We want to continue to be good. We will pay you consistent with that." Um there's the moneyball idea of you replace one player by signing four players for equal or lesser value that that get you to the same same result. You can't do that with Juan Soto. You you can only have nine players in the field at a time. You you can only have nine people batting. You can't replace that. And that's that's the thing about a generational talent is like if you have a middling first baseman that is beloved but will cost too much and you want to replace him with with two players and it frees you up to get more value understood but like when someone is worth 45 million dollars and he is producing wins at that that rate and it's only going to get better you cannot replace like for like i will give you maybe one example in the last 20 plus years longer of something like this happening it was actually in someone's age 25 season when their team traded him. It was Miguel Cabrera. Do you know what the Marlins got back of note? Uh, Andrew Miller? Correct. Is that basically it? Uh, the other person you've heard of is one Cameron Mabin, who I you know, I think was maybe still playing somewhat recently. So like I said, that's basically it. Also, yeah. I don't know that Andrew Miller ever delivered even one pitch of consequence for the marlins no no you would think of him with like uh cleveland or the yankees probably and good good players but nowhere near replacing the wins that miguel cabrera who i'm sure aged 25 through 33 produced i mean this is this is someone who who won the triple crown in the modern era like that's that's what we're talking about here i mean the nats the nats are having this right now with uh what is his what is the uh catcher catcher's name that came up from the dodgers um in the trade uh cabert ruiz okay he's pretty good Mm-hmm. He was a very highly touted prospect, and he seems, as far as I can tell, to be the Nats' everyday catcher already. And, like, even still, that does not nearly match uh, the the value of Trey Turner and Max Scherzer, mm-hmm. even if you think about it in terms of, you know, him as an upgrade on, like, Kurt Suzuki. Yeah, but... And this this gets to what I think is, you know, my last kind of important point is with baseball, the postseason, especially with it being expanded, is a total crapshoot. You have quote unquote playoff series that are one game. 
And so how do you build a fandom? They have to watch your guys play. And <clears throat> the playoffs, who knows what can happen. You have to build it before that. And if you are fielding a team that is purposefully not trying to win, if you're not playing your best players all the time, and they don't have a chance to... I mean, Juan Soto is always going to get the toughest pitches and, and the toughest matchups because there's no one else the opposing team is going to fear. So how am I supposed to look forward to watching them if I know that this guy has no chance and you have no interest in keeping him around? And that is a very nihilistic way to view sports. And that is what the Nationals are doing. And and it is, there's not much to look forward to. And what else is sports other than it's supposed to be something fun and to to look forward to, especially baseball, which goes on forever during the summer and has all this, you know, you know, majesty and, and nostalgia around it, which doesn't apply now in the McKenzieification. I get that. But Man, you want it to be a pastime, a a way to spend time in the summer, and there's nothing to look forward to there. They are already the worst team in the league, and they want to get rid of their best player. Hey, yeah. You can't get any worse. I think that there's a, another modern feature is uh, you know the the Sam Hinky process thing, and you know the process was the telling the fans like, hey, we're gonna get couple of great players and in the nba that that can change that you know changes the the win output more than a couple players in, in baseball but like in baseball there's when the team is bad like you still go to the park and like oh juan soto's up to bat like everyone's gonna get excited and we're gonna watch juan soto's at bat he's gonna do the shuffle and it's great if you've got like absolutely no one then like that uh, it, that kills the everyday part of baseball too and yeah, I think that there's some some combination of Hinky and Billy Bean going on in the Nationals, and it just doesn't it's not it doesn't work. But like this, and, but this goes back to what I was saying at the very beginning. Like, there is a a shockingly large number of people that will still swear up and down that the Sam Hinky process was an unmitigated success, even though there is literally no evidence whatsoever that could possibly support that you got Joel Embiid uh, who hasn't led the team past the second round of the playoffs in his entire career and you got Ben Simmons who broke down in such a conclusive and public and ugly way that you know that the team shipped him out because it was totally untenable to even keep him on the roster like uh, you know you forgot that Markel Fultz forgot how to shoot one of the no but also Markel Fultz, like, here's the thing Markel Fultz was not a process draft pick by the time he was the pick uh Hinky had long been fired Okay, I, I thought it was a pick uh, still and, left and over from arguably but they, the, but they got the high pick because of the sure carnage that was left in his wake but but that that carnage was because Embiid who arguably was the only real process pick in a way and Simmons both like missed their like their entire rookie seasons due to injuries 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, like it's, a, it's, it's just it's it's results based. Like, well, you know, if the Okafor draft didn't suck, and if Markel Fultz would have worked out, and if Ben Simmons would have worked out, then the process would have worked. But it's it it's called the NBA lottery, <laughs> not but, just because of the this, odds. It's just but it's, then but it, it so the reason I'm 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 saying that this is taking it full circle is that there there really there's always going to be a swath of people. And it's, you know, in in the modern climate, it's very online, uh, you know, frequent poster type people who are going to shill for the management approach. And as long as as long as this Soto trade returns, you know, a couple of blue chip prospects like they're going to make they're going to attempt to argue that this worked out. And there is and just, just, there is no, there is no way, there is no way at all that trading Juan Soto can work out for the Washington Nationals. It just, it can't. And it's just, you know, what, what you've really set up and the idea of you, you don't have to stay a fan, which I totally understand. It's like in no other transaction do, do we do this? If, if you have a really bad experience with your, you know, dishwasher or or just, you know, the wooden spoons you get from a place. You go buy them from another place. You're not like you're not like, well, I only buy from from this place. No, you make an informed decision based off of experience. And to act like the effectively the CEOs, the franchisees of of these teams, that that they are in any way different than like the CEO of a multinational corporation that you may buy a consumer good from, that's you 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 are buying the the swindle. I mean that's that's what you're doing. And I you know they're teams that I really care about and everything else. But you don't have to be beholden to them. They are not thinking about you. They are thinking about in this day and age when we don't have any you know George Steinbrenners anymore or I guess Jerry Jones honestly because he's a, a complete lunatic. The the franchisees are not fans. They are trying to make money. This isn't just a plaything that they are trying to win anymore. Joe Lacob, okay, you know, th- that that is an owner that's trying to win. These owners are not trying to win, which means they are not really thinking about you, the fan. So get out. And, and Joe Lacob's whole personality is so just, it's so repellent that it offsets the fact that he is the most, you know, the most loose walleted owner in professional sports right now. But like, you know, you are under no obligation to let this team keep hurting you. Now, if you are going to cut bait, I think I think we we you know, we've maybe talked about this in a way before like I, I don't think it it makes a lot of sense. It's or well, I think it's hard for you to cut bait from the Nats and then like follow Juan Soto wherever he gets traded. Like I'd argue if you're going to if you're going to pull the plug, uh, even though it's it's hard to to do this with division rivals, like you should take the Kelsey McKinney approach and root for the home team. Like you should get invested in the Braves. Uh, you yeah. know, and if it makes you feel dirty, like you can kind of, uh, I with the Celtics. I'm like, well, I can root for them now, but I don't take any I don't take any excitement or responsibility for anything that happened pre 2019. So I still I very much hate any. Kelly Olenek. 
I don't watch any baseball now, so it'd be nice to not watch. That's also a viable answer. About yeah. Um, yeah. The other. Yeah, should we close the podcast by saying how much baseball we've all collectively watched this year? <laughs> I would say like three innings. I went to a game. I forget how long it is. I think I meant the nine inning. I think I watched. And the I've game. I've listened to a couple of innings of Astros games on the radio. Um. Yeah. Well, uh, do you know how else? Do you know how else was traded? Uh, last thing. Do you know how else was traded in a little bit longer time ago? Do you know how else was traded um, in their twenty-five-year-old season? Who was pretty good, and it looked bad in retrospect that that trade happened. I think you know we Babe don't. Ruth. <laughs> Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth. There we go. The list is Miguel Cabrera and Babe Ruth. Well, you know, sometimes you got to finance a production of No Nanette. <clears throat> okay uh let's let's wrap up there and and move on to pierce's sorry uh what are you apologizing for today um so uh i purchased a pair of pants a couple weeks ago um from an online retailer which i like a lot and i bought the pair of pants in a different color than what i already had because i really liked the color i had i really liked the fit bought another pair of pants try on the pants the inseam on this is two inches too long. It is labeled incorrectly. This is a different inseam length. I sent them a picture, had a discussion. They said, and I said, so I'm, reach out. I'm like, I know how this stuff works. Um, you might want to check your stock. This is an online company. I go, don't worry. We're going to send you another for the warehouse free. You keep that other pair of pants. All right, fine. Got the second pair of pants. Same label should be the same as the pair I like. Exact same pair of pants, just a different color. Same problem. So I had to respond to them and be like, when I said you should check your stock because I think something is wrong, you should do that. And so I I don't know, I'm like at a loss. I, I feel bad because I think I could have been more helpful the first time. And the second time, because I asked for a refund, they're just not going to look at it at all. But like, there is, a, there is a systemic problem here, um, or, you know, where the pants are wrong. They have a warehouse that has a bunch of pants in them that are labeled wrong. There's a defect across a whole batch, and I wasn't able to express it fully. So, you know, hopefully that company doesn't lose that much money on those pants. But like, your pants are messed up. They were made incorrectly, and I have no idea how big a, a batch it is affecting. I'm at a bit of a loss about what part of this you are apologizing for. Because I didn't do a good... I should have just done a better job. You should have demanded me. that they go to, to well, the warehouse. They, they just, it's, it's just, there's no, there's, there's no storefront or anything. So no one is there to check this. They're just pulling it down and just throwing it into a box. There's no way that anyone is going to check this. I mean, I think if And you, this is the world we live in. If you said, yeah, so this is not... I don't, I don't understand. This isn't on you. It's not, it's not your responsibility to, to uh, be on top of... Uh, pants co usa's you know warehouse issues but that's the thing is like i see the problem i it's not just a one-time thing there is a, a go and, get a job and I know with the solution them. well go, go get a, a job company. in in shipping logistics oh no no one wants that but i don't know uh, uh, if yeah, you want to fix this it sounds like you do 
Well, the real fix is, truth be told, is I now have two free pairs of pants um, that uh, I'm just going to get hemmed and I'm going to have two new pairs of pants. Okay. So, but that doesn't that doesn't feel good because there's still there's still a problem. So uh, anyways, I don't uh, I think two pairs of free pants feels way better than knowing that there is an ongoing uh, warehouse problem at the place you got the free pants from. I, maybe that's just me. But yeah, whatever. We we should choose to worry about things that we can control. And this is one of the times where I think I have control and I really don't. You absolutely do not have control. <laughs> not even a little bit. Or if you, I guess you could like order a hundred pairs of pants and then tell them they're <laughs> like they're all bad and then maybe they'll listen to you. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, that's that's no, I can't do that. No, but what we can do is uh, have a big idea from pop culture and uh have i have i talked about going to the movies I went to the movies over the weekend wow good good air conditioning uh yeah sure why not uh saturday night i went with emily and, and two of our friends to go see the black phone uh which is a it's definitely a psychological thriller whether or not you'd call it a horror movie is probably uh it's on the fence it's sort of your mileage may vary on that but it's you know it's made by blumhouse um so i think it's it would be reasonable to call it a horror movie uh it is about uh a a serial killer in denver in the late 70s you know a fictional serial killer um who snatches up uh teenage boys from the neighborhood and keeps them in some sort of basement dungeon type situation before ultimately uh torturing and, and killing them and the movie centers around uh his most recent victim a, a young kid named finney who is down in the basement and hears the old black rotary phone on the wall ring which is very strange because the phone is disconnected um uh, and I, I don't know i mean we apply i guess we can apply sort of a, a light spoiler warning i don't know this isn't really giving away anything that you wouldn't get by reading a garden variety review of the movie uh but it turns out that uh, the the caller, so to speak, the callers are the killer's former victims. Ah. Uh, hmm. And it turns out to be, I didn't I didn't find it like over the top scary or anything. But what it what it was was a a surprisingly emotionally poignant movie about, uh, you know, young male friendship. And familial bonds and and the ways that we we find inner strength. So, I I think, you know, unless you are, uh, really skittish, I think you will probably have a pretty good time at the Black Phone. Ethan Hawke is great. Uh, so yeah, uh, go 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 see movies. It's fun. Um, try to not be in the third row like we were because we didn't get our tickets until 15 minutes before a movie started on a Saturday night. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, not that part's not ideal, but good movie. Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll close the show with a Rolling Stone rock trivia question. Who plays the piano parts on Aretha Franklin's album, I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You? Was it A, former Rolling Stones collaborator Ian Stewart? Was it B, uh, fellow former Rolling Stones collaborator Ian McLagan? Uh, was it C, Booker T. Jones of the famous Stax Records house band Booker T. and the MGs? Or was it D, Aretha Franklin? C. I've seen the movie where some of the Rolling Stones show up to to watch her, but I think it's D. I think it's Aretha Franklin. That is correct. Aretha Franklin played her own mm. piano parts. She's very cool. Very, very Pierce cool. is on fire. Amen. Uh, all right. That's the end of the show. You can find us at our home on the web at www.prettyokpod.com or on your favorite podcast app. Uh, if you do that, please tell a friend about the show. We'd love to share it with them as well. We'll be back next week to talk about something else. Until then, I'm Sean. I'm Pierce. And I'm Kevin. Thanks for listening.